if you would like, uh, I do have a couple of children's bulletins in the back if you'd like to have notes to follow along. Uh, other than that, uh, we always have spots in our bulletins to, to have notes as well. Between this next uh, week, couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be wrapping up the book of 2 Corinthians, so we're kind of coming up to an end. Uh, while there are 13 chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians that we've been working through, I'm not going to cover absolutely everything. I'm going to be skipping over some parts. I'm going to be summing up some things. Uh, I'm going to kind of focus on things that I think you'll both enjoy and grow from, so I'll be uh, skipping over some, uh, but I won't be grabbing everything. I want you to walk away encouraged by the end of this book. I want you to be confident in the Word of God, uh, of what is said, of the promises, the practical natures of the book, uh, the words that are written, and because, you know, in all reality, these words, while written sometimes a thousand years ago or more, are still practical in our lives today. They're still helpful, and it's such an encouragement that God's Word is still active and living and in a way that it actually still encourages us today. Now, if you were with us last week, you may recall that we focused on Paul's instructions on becoming glad in our giving. We talked about being glad in our giving. Um, let's face it, at one time or another, we've all had our arm uh, twisted. We've been coerced into giving when we really didn't feel like it, and it's, uh, it's not a fun feeling. Uh, and purchasing something maybe even that we regret. Um, and Paul set up safeguards. He talked about putting up safeguards that gave us instructions on how to protect ourselves as we gave to others. And he gave us guidance because we're constantly asked to give towards good causes. And Paul didn't want us to feel coerced into giving. After all, we as Christians, we've been given new hearts. And we want to give because Christ first gave to us. So our memory verse reminds us of these things. And it says, and you can say it with me, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things became new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Thank you so much for that. Now, we give to emulate or to mirror what Christ first freely gave to us. Now, Jesus was our sin sacrifice. Now, I want to take a little bit today to actually go over the gospel kind of as a foundation for today's message. So we're actually going to go over the basics of the gospel before we get into the message on purpose. Now, why did we need a sin sacrifice? In simplistic terms, sin is anything we think, say, or do that breaks God's laws. It's what we teach to young children. Now, uh, the problem is that God, being perfect, has perfect laws, and he has perfect standards. And his divide between what is right and what is wrong is very steep. He's got a no, no middle ground. Now, this means that just one error in our one mistake, one moment of giving in temptation, means that we have completely blown the entire thing. Now, James, Jesus' own brother, said in his own epistle, James wrote this. He said, For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all of it. So if you try to keep everything, but you only stumble just once, according to God's standards, you're completely guilty of breaking all of it. Now this creates a huge problem, as we each have given into temptation at least once in our lives. We have all, at one point or another, given into that temptation. Now the chasm that it creates between us and God is completely impossible for us to cross, and it's impossible to keep God's standards all on our own. God knows this. God is completely and keenly aware of this, but he's also compassionate. God is incredibly compassionate. He knows that we couldn't keep his standards, so he sent us a mediator, someone to come and become a buffer between us and God. So God's word said that sin could only be acquitted or it could only be paid for through a blood sacrifice. And that is the reason why Jesus came. 
Jesus paid the penalty not just for one person on one event, but because he was holy and perfect, he paid for every single person, for every single time that we would sin. Now, this is why we celebrate his birth during this season. This is, this is the whole reason we celebrate, because Jesus paid for us. He paid our sin sacrifice. Now, the question is, how do we accept that payment on our behalf? Since he's paid for it, how do we accept that? All we have to do is believe in faith that he's done this. We have to uh, admit that we have sinned and tell him that we believe that he is right about what he says about our sin and follow him in faith. Now, in turn, we offer our new lives for his service. And this is why Romans 12 says the following. And I'll say this one here. I'll have it up on the screen. This is a little bit longer one. It's 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. You've probably heard this verse before. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a man I knew once asked the question, you might even know the answer. He says, do you know the problem with a living sacrifice? Have you heard the answer to this one before? The answer is it keeps trying to get off the altar. The problem with a living sacrifice is it tries to keep getting off the altar. We accept Christ and we don't die. And there, we are left here because God doesn't automatically bring us to heaven after we become believers. He, he leaves us here as examples of those who follow him, whose lives can be changed. Now, living as a living sacrifice isn't always easy, as you probably know uh, better than I. Paul recognized this. Today, we're actually going to cover a, a chapter that's actually dedicated to telling of Paul's sacrifices, the sacrifices in Paul's own life as a living sacrifice. Now, Today's message is titled, A Godly Grace, A Godly Grace. Now, I'm going to preface this message with the following. What we're about to cover isn't the normal life experience. Most people aren't going to go through the hardships like Paul did. He was dedicated completely to following God and absolutely everything, and God led him down a path that was uniquely his own. Now, this isn't said to diminish your life experience, because your life's going to look completely different than his. God knew what he had created Paul to go through, and Paul would happen to go and do. And he created you for something specific as well. So what we're going through, don't compare your life and say, well, I didn't do this, this, and this, so God must not want me to you know, do as much for him. God created you unique, and you're not going to go through the exact same thing. So don't compare your life to Paul and say, wow, I really um, i am not living quite the life that I should be because of what Paul went through. He knows what you can handle, even better than you know, because he created you. He knitted you together, as the psalmist says. So in the previous letter, Paul pens these words. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, it will also make the way up of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now that comes from 1 Corinthians 10.13. We're currently in 2 Corinthians, if you're following along. This is what he's previously said. Because God knows us. As I said before, he knit us together. He knows what we were created for. He knows our limits. So keep this verse in mind as we're actually going to come all the way around back to this verse by the end of the sermon, at the end of our message. So point number one today. Point number one today is know thyself. Know thyself. Today we're going to be talking about knowing yourself. Now, we're going to be skipping over chapter 10. We didn't talk about chapter 10. Last week, we went over 8 and a little bit into 9. Chapter 10 is a relatively short chapter, and actually, it's spent mostly on Paul talking about his authority as an apostle. 
um, and the way people perceive him. And uh, he's writing to them, and he's trying to present things to them. So we're going to actually be in chapter 11 today. And in verse 6 is much of a summary of the previous chapter. So 6 is kind of a, a good summary of chapter 10. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. So Paul says that he recognizes in all reality, I'm a terrible public speaker. Okay? Uh, this is Paul speaking, not me. Okay? I, I'm, I'm, I know where I'm at. Um, Paul realized his limitations. He knew what he could do and what he couldn't do. More than once, I have found myself overextended, maybe on the verge of burnout, because I overestimated my abilities. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever overestimated yourself and you're just like, whoa, I, I really stepped into this a little bit too far. I wasn't quite ready for it. Paul recognized that he was a weak speaker. Maybe he had a speech impediment. We actually don't know. Maybe he had a timid voice. If you're going to do any amount of public speaking, you need to be able to have a voice that carries, especially in his day and age. Think about it. They didn't have microphones back then. So a, a weak speaker these days can get away with what his generation could not. Now, no one wants to listen to somebody who has no authority. We don't know what Paul had, but we do know that he recognized his own limitations. Whatever the case may have been, he knew it. And people said these things of him. So he recognized that people were saying things behind his back. And he even says it. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Ouch. Um, Paul didn't have a strong presence when he was standing in the room. Uh, he probably wasn't the tallest. Maybe he wasn't the strongest. Maybe he wasn't the best looking in the room. We don't quite know, but we do know what people were saying about him when he wasn't there. Apparently, he had a weak presence. That's all we know from this. His writing, on the other hand, he was really good at. So it's a completely different story. And this is why in a previous verse, he says, yeah, I was weak in speech, but not in knowledge. I, I know a lot, so I know how to write really well. So God used him. Hence the fact we've got Paul's written word that God directed still with us today because he knew where he was strong at. He was smart. He knew how to write. So Paul focused on what he was good at. Paul focused on what he was good at. He understood what he knew, and he probably actively worked on his good qualities instead of completely ignoring all of his bad qualities. Now, point number two today, point number two, is a reason to boast. Point number two today is a reason to boast. Now, I'm not going to lie. I like action stories. I don't know about anybody else here, but I love reading a good action story or watching a movie. I like the Old Testament book of Joshua. Joshua is just bam, bam, bam. It's action, action, action. Something big happens, and then they go on to the next big thing. It's a lot of fun to read. I don't know how you like to read uh, what the Bible has, but that's just one of those fun things. Verses 22 through 28, which is going to be our primary focus today, is like this action story within Paul's life, and it's a lot of fun. It's four verses. Uh, it's an amazing testimony of both big and unbelievable things that God has done and brought Paul through as a testimony to God's own faithfulness in Paul's life. The grace of God and the, and the kinds of paths that a life that is completely dedicated to following God can lead you down. So God leading, uh, letting God lead can, can bring you down a lot of different paths. Now, I like boasting just about as much as the next person. Uh, for some, uh, they boast on the size of the catch, whether it's a fish or a deer. You ever, you've probably sat around a circle and like, I got one that was this bit. Uh, you've probably heard it. You've probably even done it yourself once or twice. For me, most of the time, I like boasting about near-death experiences, or at least what I thought was near-death, okay, because it's just, you know, it's fun to talk about. You know, I, I should have died, but really it was great. Uh, so, um, so like 
one time I was snowboarding. So I, w I grew up near a ski mountain. Um, we got uh, actually, it was cool. Our, our school program actually allowed us to go skiing for free uh, in conjunction with the mountain. I worked at the mountain. I, I went snowboarding a lot. I was fairly decent at it. And one time before I was ready, I found myself going down a double, blind, uh, diamond, black, uh, double black diamond slope. There you go. Let's see if we can say it correctly so we sound more like we know what we're talking about. Well, the sign at the top was covered in snow, so I didn't know that I had gone down a very steep hill. Not only was it a double black diamond slope, it was covered in ice. And at the top part, it was moguls, and then more ice, and then midway through, it was actually the snowboard's big air park, which meant really big jumps. To top it all off, because they knew it was full of ice, they were blowing snow on it, which meant it felt like you were going through a blizzard the entire time. So somehow, by the grace of God, I managed to get down the top part. Uh, and if you've ever been on really tough ice, you can feel your edge just slowly grinding in. Of course, I've got a rental, so it's not really sharp, so it's not working very well. So I'm just kind of like trying not to die. I make it halfway down, and all of a sudden I find myself in the big air park. And before I know it, I am 15 feet in the air on a jump that I didn't even realize I was on. Needless to say, uh, my landing was less than exemplary, uh, and it knocked the wind out of me, popped my entire back. I felt my entire back pop, 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 and uh, it knocked the wind out of me. Uh, I only suffered a, uh, a, a scraped chin and, and a bruised pride because I really, I, I always thought I would do good at the big air park. I was not as good as I thought I was going to be. Um, but, you know, we have those experiences, and we love talking about those experiences. And as close as I thought that I came to death or serious injury that day, it pales in comparison to what God allowed Paul to go through. Paul actually went through some, uh, some pretty awesome stuff. So let's break down what God led him through. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be in chapter 11, and we're going to read 22 through 28. 22 through 28. Okay, here we go. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequently, and deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with the rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a, day, a night and a day. And I have been in the deep. And the journeys often in perils of waters, perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils of the Gentiles, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils of the sea. And perils among false brethren, and weariness, and toil, and sleeplessness often, and hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, and cold, and nakedness. Beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So Paul, in his journey, comes across these men and women who thought and acted like they were more Christian than Paul was. And this is how he starts off this section. He had come across these people that thought that they were more Christ-like, and they were more godly than he was. And they acted like... They were more deserving of God's inheritance than he was. They acted like they were more deserving of God's inheritance. These men and women boasted of their lineage. So somehow they had thought, and this is the Jewish line of thinking, they had thought that their family line was going to save them and bring them into the presence of God, that it was going to get them into heaven. So they boasted of the things that they had said and they were that they had said and done. They thought that they they thought of these things as those were that were going to get them to heaven, and they were completely wrong. Now, what you have listed in these four verses is Paul's refutation to these people. 
These people said, oh, we're going to get to heaven because of my family line and because of the things I've done. And Paul's going to be like, oh, really? And this is his refutation to those people that say, you know, we're getting to heaven because of those two things. So now I'm going to give the end away right now before we even get all the way there. So he's going to say that if anyone deserves to get into heaven by their family line or by their actions that he does. That's his whole point. He's like, if anyone deserves to get into heaven by their family and where their family stands before God, it's me. And if anyone's going to get into heaven because of what they've gone through and what they've done for God, it's me. And at the end of the day, he's going to say, even I can't do it. It's going to be the grace of Christ. Now, he's going to go right into it. He recognizes both are completely useless in God's eyes. So I'm going to go back over these four verses. So starting in verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So the argument the Hebrews had was that their heritage would get them into heaven. So this is actually what Jesus ran across as well in the New Testament. As you're going through, they constantly thought, well, we are the seed of Abraham, so we're going to heaven automatically. It's our inheritance, our physical inheritance. And Paul's saying no. So have you ever asked somebody, if they were a Christian, only to have them reply, well, my family attends church? You ever ask someone if they're a Christian and they're like, yeah, my family attends church? That's not an answer. That, that means that they believe something other than the gospel. If someone says, well, my family attends church, they have the same idea that these people did. What Paul is about to say is that your family isn't going to give you access to heaven. Your family does not give you access to heaven. It doesn't matter if your family has been attending the church since the building was built 200 years ago or if your family is there every single Sunday. This isn't what God is looking for. So he's going to continue on in the next verse. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. It doesn't matter if your father's the pastor or if he's the pope. It doesn't matter if your family single-handedly funded the church expansion project. It doesn't matter if, and none of it matters. You see, labor is more abundant in physical things that you do. These aren't the things that will qualify you in God's sight. And Paul's trying to make that clear. He continues on by saying that he's been beaten more for the gospel and suffered more for the gospel than anyone else that he knows of. He says, I've been beaten more in the name of Jesus and I've suffered more in the name of Jesus than any one of you and anybody I know of. And he says, you know what? These, still, these aren't qualifying him. They don't get him to heaven. He expands what he means by beatings and imprisonments. So here he says beatings uh, and imprisonments more frequently and deaths more often. So then the next couple of verses are an expansion of that. So when you see these, he says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. The reason why they stopped at 40 is because they thought if any more were given, then the man would automatically die. So they limited it to being whipped 40 times, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, which means he was floating in open ocean for a night and a day. He was adrift. In journeys often in perils of waters, perils of robberies, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils of the wilderness, perils of the sea. And he continues on. You kind of get the idea. Wherever he goes, someone seems to always be against him. And something is always going down because he's living his life for Christ and someone always wants to stop the gospel. So Paul lays it all on the line. He says that if anyone's going to earn their way into heaven, it should have been him. He should be able to because of what he suffered in the name of the gospel and what he was doing. 
but rather he, gets, he points everything back to Jesus and his grace. So this actually brings us to our final point today, which is point three, my grace, my grace. At the beginning of the message today, I started off with a passage from the previous book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, it speaks about where God, what he would allow and what he wouldn't allow in our lives. Particularly, the passage is speaking of temptation, the one in 10, 13. Paul was tempted to give up through his incredible circumstances. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, going through these kind of things, haven't you ever gone through a hard time and like, should I give up or should I keep going? You ever wondered that? Much like Job of the Old Testament. Job, if you remember, he lost everything. He lost his kids, he lost his house, he lost his livestock, all of his wealth. And his wife didn't die. His wife actually got up, told him to just croak. Basically, she told him to die. She spit on him and walked away. She didn't even die with the rest of him. To completely and utterly humiliate him. And he didn't give up either. You see, God lets us go through what can either build us or destroy us. God lets us go through what can either build us or destroy us. The outcome completely depends on what you have chosen to lean upon. The outcome completely depends on what you have chosen to lean upon. You see, when we lean on our understanding or on our knowledge, we lean on our strength and ours alone. When we are completely self-reliant, when we read the verses like 1 Corinthians, we interpret the verse so that it says that God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear when we're self-reliant. We end up picking out the middle of the verse and we focus here. So a self-centered, self-reliant person will read the middle of this verse and they will see, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. The problem with this mindset, the problem with this mindset is that when something comes up and overwhelms us, what do we do? We blame God. We automatically blame God because obviously God isn't going to tempt us beyond what we're able to handle, right? Because we're a self-reliant person. We tell God that he promised He said he promised he wouldn't uh, send us something that we couldn't handle. So we blame him for apparently what we think is him breaking his promise to us. So they got sick. Well, Lord, you promised. We lost our job. Well, Lord, you promised. You got divorced. Well, Lord, you promised you wouldn't send anything my way. We assume that he has promised to never allow pain in that we can't bear alone. We assume that God just promised that he's not going to allow pain in that we can't bear alone. And that he's broken that promise. But this isn't what the verse says. This isn't at all what the verse says. If we read the verse in whole, he finishes the verse. This is the ending of the verse. He says, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In this verse, what he's actually promising to us is to provide a way so that we can bear anything that is sent our way. He's actually saying that he's going to provide a way. Which means that we have to allow ourselves to shift our perspective. We have to shift our perspective. Rather than lean on our own selves and our abilities, we are called to lean on his abilities, onto his strength. Paul recognizes this and he lets us know this. He even again uses his own life as an example. You see, he too had something that was bothering him. He had asked God to remove it and God says, nope, not going to do it. So we ask God again and God says, nope, not going to do it. He asked three times and in scripture he actually tells us that he asked God three times And God's response, do you know what God's response is? You might have heard this verse before. This is in chapter 12, verse 9, just one chapter ahead. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
The point of what we go through isn't as much about proving what we can and cannot do. It's not so much about proving what we can and cannot do, but rather what God can do through us. Not so much to prove what you can and cannot handle, but what God can handle through us. Today, we're going to have a surprise ending. This is more than just your day-to-day and the struggles that we will inevitably face. You see, this trust is in the power of Christ. And Paul speaks of, and he comes full circle and from the ending, all the way back to the beginning of the message, and our salvation is as well. See, what happens with our lives and what we choose to do shows something through our lives. Trusting him, trusting God through faith in Christ, trusting his ability and not yours, proves your faith in him concerning your salvation. What we do with our day-to-day shows that we are trusting him. Our actions show that we are trusting him. You show him that you trust him to save you by allowing him to daily lead you. This is why the old Baptist preacher in the salvation prayer would say, make him Lord of my life. Anybody here uh, when they were younger and the Baptist preacher uh, led you and he said, and I make you Lord over my life. Do you ever remember hearing that or saying that? You ever wondered why? Why is he supposed to become Lord over our lives? What does this mean? Why, why, why would I say this? The impact of these four words is quite huge. It can be undeniable. When tied together, you see the one shows the other. When we trust him, we show it in our actions. Today, I'm going to have two questions for you as, you as we close, and we're going to actually move directly into communion after this. So I'm going to ask you two questions as it relates to this sermon. Number one, how do your limitations define you? How do your limitations define you? We all have limitations. Paul recognized his shortcomings. He was able to admit them, and he didn't allow them to stop him, but rather he allowed his shortcomings to become focusing on what God was creating him to be. God was creating him to be, not just who he wished he could be. He allowed those shortcomings to be worked on through God because he focused on what God wanted him to be, not just who he thought he wanted. The second question is, what about your daily life shows that you trust God? What about your daily life shows that you trust God? Paul's testimony reveals to us that our family heritage isn't going to save us. Your family line, uh, your family might have built the church. It's not going to save you. Your family might have built the extension on the church. Someone's going to say, well, my family did this for the church. Unfortunately, our family line is not going to save us. It shows us that what we do and who we are related to won't save us. But rather, it's our faith, and our faith alone in Jesus Christ is going to save us. So how are you showing God that you trust him daily? Because what you trust in the day-to-day shows that you're trusting him for your salvation as well. If you can't trust him in the day-to-day, how can you trust him with the eternal? Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.